WISC has in excess of 1,600 total test flights across five generations of aircraft. So that's a huge amount of experience around our systems, our batteries, propellers, motors, um, you know, how we communicate, all of, all of those really important aspects of our aircraft. Um, we're now developing our, you know, preparing for the certification of our Generation 6 aircraft, um, the aircraft that will come to market this decade. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and today I am back in Christchurch. I was here last week for the Canterbury Tech Summit. I am back again for the Innovation Expo and the New Zealand Aerospace Summit. Well, and thank you to our show partners, uh, Gorilla Technology, HP, Spark, Two Degrees, and One uh, NZ. Now I have the privilege of sitting down for a chat with Catherine McGowan, the Asia Pacific Regional Director at WISC. And what WISC are all about is autonomous electric air taxis, and they have been incredibly innovative with their designs and their technologies, and certainly have got some, at least one world first in terms of the, the technology that they've been building. So we're going to delve in uh, and chat with Catherine about that in a moment. A little bit of background on their sixth generation uh, aircraft, currently uh, in testing, electric vertical takeoff and landing craft uh, in New Zealand, uh, in the South Island. Uh, I've spoken to, to people that have, that have seen them flying around and uh, these aircraft, uh, autonomous aircraft, uh, have a range in the direction of 140 kilometres, including reserves. So that opens them up for, a, you know, for probably a whole range of possibilities uh, in terms of you know, connecting Kiwis and, and visitors to New Zealand, to uh, you know, tourist destinations, airport connections and the like in the future. Um, previously, there has been a, um, I think a memorandum of understanding between Air New Zealand and WISC. Uh, so there's all sorts of possibilities on, on how uh, WISC's technology uh, it could be utilised in New Zealand in the future um, on top of the R&D type work that WISC have been doing in uh, New Zealand. And uh, yeah, real privilege to, uh, to, to delve in uh, with Catherine McGowan and hear a little bit more around what WISC are up to. So let's jump in with Catherine McGowan. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Paul. Maybe a little bit of background for listeners on, on WISC. What is it that you do? <laughs> what is it that we do? So WISC has been around since around 2011 and we are developing an all-electric vertical takeoff and landing autonomous aircraft. It'll carry four passengers um, and it'll operate in and around cities, helping people connect to their destinations in a way that's sustainable and accessible. Yeah, it's been an, uh, a really interesting journey, and we've, and we've been, um, you know, following some of it on the New Zealand Tech podcast over, you know, over the last few years because there is a unique uh, reality that you know WISC has has done a lot uh, here in New Zealand. So, you know, maybe um, before we delve into that, you can just talk a little bit about you know the history of uh, of where WISC, you know, where WISC came from. Uh, and kind of you know where where you are in the in the journey to us all being able to you know jump in an autonomous uh, air taxi and uh, and get flown to work or whatever that scenario might look like. It is really neat that New Zealand is part of the story for Whisk. So Whisk is a California company, 
And when they were developing their Generation 5 aircraft and looking for somewhere to conduct test flying and, and you know, advance the testing on the various systems, uh, New Zealand came to WISC's attention because of our regulatory environment and the opportunity to test innovative aerospace technologies in New Zealand under the civil aviation regulations, which allowed for you know a very careful, very safe way of testing technologies that weren't yet certified and therefore didn't fit within any of the existing rule sets. Uh, so that's when WISC first came out to New Zealand. Yep. And from October 2017 until uh, early 2021, we actually flew our Generation 5 aircraft at a test facility in Tikapo, uh, which was a really wonderful site our American team loved coming out to visit. How could you not loving, love spending time in, in Tikapo? I mean, it's such an incredible part of the world, an incredible part of New Zealand, and to be flying there, um, you know, just breathtaking, right? It is beautiful. There are some amazing photographs of the aircraft, you know, just hovering in the air with the snow-capped mountains behind them. Uh, so just really iconic. Um, so that's a really cool part of our history. Um, and now we are still operating in New Zealand and we're working with the regulator and with Airways to look at how uncrewed autonomous aircraft can in the future integrate into our airspace alongside crewed aircraft in a way that's safe and you know that supports the benefits our communities are looking for. So what's your role? Where do you, where do you fit in? Because there's there's a bit of a team here in New Zealand, isn't there? And you've been involved for, for how many years? So I joined the WISC team in December 2021. So I'm coming up two years with WISC. I've got a couple of roles. Uh, so I look after our activities in Asia Pacific. What that looks like is we are engaged in New Zealand and also increasingly so in Australia because the regulators have... Um, this approach that we can work with them to figure out how we'll integrate technology. So, you know, coming up with operational validation, with sandboxes, with ways to develop new concepts. Um, we're also engaging up in Asia. As you can imagine, uh, air taxis, you know, there's a lot of cities and a lot of countries looking at this technology and thinking about as they design the next 50 years of investment in their cities infrastructure, how can they use these technologies um, to sit alongside other transport infrastructure and create this sort of integrated and sustainable network. So we have a lot of conversations around the region like that. I'm also helping develop our operational capability for the future. So as you can imagine, it's not just about the aircraft. You know, we have this amazing aircraft with all this technology, but we also in the future will see different types of operations. Um, we'll need different types of qualified people. So there's new career options out there. Um, the way that we'll operate these aircraft out of vertiports, um, the way that we'll schedule them will, will vary from how aircraft are operated today. And so we're developing those processes, which is really exciting. Exciting. Yeah, I think it's it's quite fascinating trying to get your head around how you know cities might be with autonomous air taxis as part of the mix. I still uh, remember a video that that Uber put out, which you know I was never quite sure with what they were doing with their thing Uber Elevate, whether that was just complete PR spin or whether they were sort of seriously invested into launching autonomous air taxis. And, you know, of course, that they've sold that off uh, since. But the video sort of, you know, catch the elevator up to the top of a, a tall building and in flies an autonomous air taxi and you jump in and away you go. Kind of looked fun. Is that the sort of picture that we might 
look forward to and you know what's the importance of being able to you know fly to the sort of top of buildings rather than other other sorts of approaches that's a great question so what we're seeing is that cities are thinking deeply about the way that integrated transport systems going to work in the future mm. um most cities have a you know growing population. They have an increasing driver for sustainable transport options. At the same time, the ground transport fleet is also electrifying. And so we're having conversations around what are the particular routes within a city, perhaps it's between the airport and a city or an offshore island, a route that has a lot of congestion or perhaps you know gets across some tricky geography. We're using advanced air mobility to complement mass transport Transit, micro-mobility, active mobility, it makes sense for a city. And then the city can think about, you know, what is the infrastructure investment? Where will these vertiports go? How will they work in with the electrification of the grid? Often um, cities at the same time are looking at making their grid more green. Um, so, you know, it's about us bringing forward those technologies, but having the conversation with the cities to see what matters to them and how can this be part of that future, um, you know, to help our cities be more livable, to create sustainable, accessible journeys. Yeah, and I mean, looking at New Zealand, I'm curious, you know, if you have in mind any, you know, any thoughts on, you know, how, how, um, autonomous air taxis might apply. I mean, I'm just sort of thinking here. We're we're sitting in, you know, Christchurch CBD. If you wanted to get, say, to to Akaroa, it's a bit of a bit of a journey to get across there. Or uh, if you're in Auckland, you talked about flying to to islands, to Waiheke, uh, things like that could could be a possibility. But what do you see as sort of the realities of where probably the most important journeys might be? Yeah, I think you've um you've hit it on the head those sort of city to key tourist points to airports, you know, perhaps from Auckland to North Shore or out to Waiheke, Christchurch to Akaroa. Uh, you know, there are a lot of spots around New Zealand that you can imagine benefiting from this type of transport. Yeah. Um, the ad- other advantage we see, you know, the conversations we see in New Zealand are around that ecosystem approach to the regulatory change, to the safety conversations, to the infrastructure conversations that will be necessary um, to enable that future. So you see you know, great projects from Air New Zealand, you see initiatives from CA, we're working with Airways, um, there's a number of other aerospace companies operating in, in New Zealand who are all considering different parts of this challenge. And so when you start to see this connected community um, that are working together to say, you know, how can we create this future, that's when you start to get those system effects. So I think, you know, New Zealand has some spaces where advanced air mobility would be powerful and would be useful, but it also has this wonderful, you know, this small but, you know, powerful and connected community that are really thinking on, you know, how do we approach that with safety in mind? What does that mean for equitable access for our communities? How does this support our sustainability goals as a nation, um, which is just so exciting? Mm. Now, I, I guess in one way I look at New Zealand and it's like, look, we want to attract investment and you know testing of all the all the latest uh, technologies, and for varying reasons, you know, New Zealand has been a great place to uh, to test you know technology. It seems certainly uh, when it comes to the aerospace sector, there's there's been a, you know a lot of pluses, not a an over encumbrance with uh, red tape, but still with safety, you know, being catered to uh, appropriately. Um, 
but when you look around the world there's there's places with much much bigger populations uh so you know i guess i'm i'm kind of curious where you know where you see new zealand's sort of role being and yeah how um commercial would new zealand be as sort of a market for some of these sorts of you know technologies compared to much more populous places where it's probably uh you know you can imagine there's a lot more money floating around and and a lot more a lot more people we don't have you know a stack of billionaires here and 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 so on um and not saying that you know this type of technology is something that that you know is going to be exclusive to billionaires because my understanding is that that the technology is a bit more accessible than say traditional helicopter you know journeys and so on right yeah, so I guess no one would ever argue that we're the largest market in the world. <laughs> From the worst perspective, I think the real advantage we have is, you know, we're, we're a US-based company based out of California, and so we have, you know, access to that larger market, to that critical mass. Um, but connecting it with New Zealand and, you know, Australia and other countries where we can solve bits of the puzzle, where we can, um, you know, address parts of the challenge. Mm. And what we'll see over time is that, um, you know, these technologies will, seek out larger markets but at the same time um, the technologies that are developed um, that start to become part of the aviation system part of other um, aircraft systems help contribute to the goals that you know we might have in relation to search and rescue capabilities and fire and and, you know just Mm -hmm. enabling the aviation sector to meet some of those other government goals so it won't all you know for WISC um, we are targeting that that air taxi market you know we, we do see opportunities there but there are there are wider benefits as well for how the aviation sector serves our communities. Mm. And you know when you look at this a bunch of companies that are that are trying to do you know somewhat similar things probably you know each has its own viewpoint on what the sort of the destination is and and the the commercial sort of um, aspects where do you see that sort of you know WISC has you know has done really well you know so far? Yeah, so a couple of things for WISC. First is our autonomous first strategy. Uh, so when we come to market with our Generation Six aircraft this decade, it will be self-flying. We won't have a pilot on board, and that's different to many other in the market who mm-hmm. have chosen to go first with a pilot. Yes. Um, we th- you know we do see that the market is heading towards autonomy, and we think it's important to focus on that initially to build our systems to target autonomy in a safe way, um, to do the regulatory work. Um, to bring you know to bring that to the market and we can see that in the future that creates an efficiency of scale it makes the technology more accessible in terms of cost and also as we see more of this type of activity it makes it safer in terms of it allows us to provide predictability um, and you know consistency across our fleet Something else that's different for WISC is that um, we are backed by the Boeing company. So we are working with a strategic and investment partner that's aware of the technical challenge, the regulatory challenge, what it will take to bring to market. And so, you know, we very much tackle these challenges together uh, so that we can, you know, work alongside regulators and with their timeframes, with their expectations, you know, meet all the requirements of safety, our community expectations. So, so it really um, it gives us that opportunity to to um, address the autonomy challenge and bring that to life. Mm. Now, the the autonomy side is, you know, it's a big in interest of of mine. You know, generally whether it's on the roads or uh, in the in the sky. 
how hard do you think you know the autonomy problems are that Whisk is is working on, say compared to yeah working on autonomous cars and so on, because um, it's a very different sort of challenge, isn't it? Yeah, it's it is a different challenge, and it's one that we are solving in a different way. So, as you can imagine, you know there are less scenarios in the air than on the ground. Um, there's certain things like you know a zebra walking across the road that you're just never going to have happen in the air. You hope not. <laughs> You'd hope not, right? Um, the other thing that's really important for autonomy in aerospace is that it's certifiable. Mm. So, in order to create autonomy that the Federal Aviation Authority and other regulators can certify as safe and can provide that guarantee to the travelling public. It's really important that the aircraft and, and the autonomy behaviour is predictable, or what we call deterministic. So um, the aircraft has what we might call a behaviour tree, where we know under a certain circumstance the way the aircraft is going to behave. Mm. And so what that looks like is um, there's actually a high degree of autonomy already in passenger aviation. Uh, you know, around 93% of functions in a, you know, your commercial airline are, are autonomous and so we work with those technologies and we add a couple more that are necessary when you take the pilot out and so that we can work with the regulator and show that this autonomy is safe, um, that it's predictable, that we know how it's going to behave um, and that other airspace users, piloted aircraft, you know, um, can see these aircraft as a predictable and safe part of the aviation system. Mm. And I guess we look at aircraft, they're, they're already, you know, a lot safer than you know traditional uh, passenger vehicles anyway, right? So there's a there's a high there's kind of a high bar to, to meet when it comes to doing uh, you know, any sort of flying vehicle. Absolutely, and so at Whisk, it's our goal to meet or exceed the safety standards of commercial passenger aviation. So it's really important that as we enter into the aviation environment, we are our, we are making it safer. We are contributing to better situational awareness, better safety standards, uh, and so we'll be, as I just said, meeting or exceeding um, the the safety standards. And we're working closely with regulators to do that. And yeah, you talked about you know different companies that are that are taking different approaches that certainly the autonomy is a, is a big focus for you so could we delve a little bit into how the autonomy works what are the challenges what's the technology involved what's the role of you know of people in the mix we know for instance with Waymo with their autonomous vehicles when when they get stuck there's somebody that can that can help so there it's not just all on the technology so how does it work in the sky for Whisk? Yeah, that's a great question. So people will always be part of our system. They just have a, a different role. Uh, so what we have is the aircraft is self-flying, but on the ground we have a multi-vehicle supervisor. Uh, so this is someone in our ground station who is monitoring the aircraft at all times. They, and before a flight, they ensure that it's ready, that it has all its clearances, you know, the aircraft is safe, fully charged, all of those things. And then um, during the, the fully flight... fully charged bit's probably quite important. It's very important, right? We track that very closely. Um, and so then when the aircraft to some flight, uh, we're obviously monitoring it for what we call conformance. Mm. Uh, is it flying the exact route that we have told it to fly? Is it you know flying um, the navigation precision, communicating, all of those things? Um, and as the aircraft, it will usually be flying in controlled airspace. Uh, the multi-vehicle supervisor can also receive any updated instructions from air traffic control or communicate with air traffic control if anything changes. So you can kind of um, think of them as it's a little bit like a 
a cross between an air traffic controller, a flight dispatcher, someone mm. who is, you know, always aware of what the aircraft is doing and able to just act as that as that key point if anything um, should change. Um, we also have, you know, we'll have passengers on board. Uh, they are able to communicate with ground staff as well. Uh, so we have hospitality managers uh, who will make sure our passengers are safely loaded onto the aircraft, um, you know, um, deal with any accessibility issues. Uh, we have a safety briefing. And then in flight, in the extremely unlikely event that something should happen or the passengers feel a need to speak, they'll be able to speak with the hospitality team on the ground, uh, which is really great. Uh, we also have, um, you know, uh, you'd be familiar with maintenance staff that you have on the ground for normal aircraft. Uh, similarly, uh, there'll be teams who look after charging the aircraft, making sure that's serviceable and, and ready to go. And it's really exciting when we look across these new roles that will exist in the industry. And, you know, we're hoping they will open up aviation to people who might not have been able to be part of the sector before. Uh, and, you know, we'll be looking at different skills for maintainers, um, for our MVSORs and others. So that's really exciting. Another aspect is a couple of technologies for the aircraft. Uh, so one is something we call detect and avoid. So a principle of flight at the moment is see and avoid, where the pilot is responsible for always, you know, looking out the windscreen. Yeah, and pretty you know, important. Pretty important. If you see another aircraft that, you know, perhaps air traffic control haven't identified, um, pilot needs to always be aware of that and take action. Uh, so that's an important safety principle that has to be reflected in autonomous aircraft as well. So we talk about a technology called detect and avoid. Uh, so in most cases, the presence of other aircraft in the airspace near the whisk aircraft will be communicated by air traffic control and will be well separated. Um, but in case of a rare incidence where there might be something in the air that air traffic control is unaware of or hasn't been seen, the whisk aircraft will have sensors. So we'll be able to see, um, you know, perhaps an aircraft that's not transmitting, um, and if it hasn't received any instructions, it will be able to deviate and, and take evasive action to move around that other aircraft. Um, so that's one of the, you know, additional technologies that ensures that we are meeting all of those layers of safety, you know, from the strategic deconfliction through air traffic control and other information providers, right down to, you know, if something should happen, the aircraft is able to safely um, take whatever action is appropriate to keep the passengers safe and, and other airspace users safe as well. Oh, that's, uh, that's reassuring. Now, there, there's, I guess, an increasing level of communication also coming from aircraft, isn't there? I mean, you can, you can track on you know, apps like FlightAware and so on and see what's flying where, you know, altitude, speed, and, and, you know, and so on, which is, is, you know, is really cool that that, that happens today. Um, that would be part of the data set that you'd be contributing to and tapping into as well for WISC? Yes. So one of the really interesting conversations we're having across industry is that information architecture and ensuring that, you know, everyone has access to validated information about terrain, weather, uh, what we call NOTAMs, which are notices to airmen about 
activity uh, happening in the airspace around you. And then as well, that traffic information about other um, aircraft and about whisk aircraft is conveyed through uh, the air traffic control system or other companies that are that are supporting that information flow. Um, so the other airspace users know where whisk aircraft are and, and they um, and whisk aircraft are aware of others as well. Um, we talk about electronic conspicuity. So, you know, the idea that whether through ADSB or other technologies, uh, aircraft are all contributing to situational awareness as a way to make the airspace system more safe. And is there a range of sort of other sensors and so on in terms of, I mean, there, there's temperature, there's, you know, a whole lot of kind of, you know, things that sort of, you know, matter in the sky, some just from a... Um, you know, understanding what's happening with weather perspectives uh, that might impact sort of, you know, future flight. There must be a whole lot of data sources and so on that you would bring in and all of those things contribute together to, you know, make yeah. a decision on even whether it's safe to fly in the first place as well as collecting the data on the go if, a, you know, I don't, I don't know, a storm sort of springs up or something, right? A tornado, for instance. Hopefully not in New Zealand. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Uh, yes, yeah, so validated data and, you know, weather data, all of those things are a really important aspect of a safe aviation operation. And actually, we're quite lucky, again, you know, being part of, you know, supported by the Boeing company. Um, Boeing has, you know, um, some other capabilities in this area. So we are working with um, other Boeing companies to, uh, you know, identify how will the system come together, how can we support that robust data Um and, you know, we'll, that'll be communicated to aircraft uh, during the flight and, um, you know, just support this general situational understanding. Cool. Now, walk us through the testing. There's been years and years of testing. You're at your sixth generation. You know, you've flown in New Zealand, I don't know, hundreds of times or a, a whole bunch of times, maybe in total thousands of, of, of flights. You know, what can you share in terms of that and and you know where where you are in that sort of testing journey because you know the conversations are sort of starting to go beyond the fact that um you know you can fly uh and you can fly quite successfully you you seem to be you know getting closer and closer to sort of important commercial realities now right yeah it does um it is exciting to be moving in that direction. So WISC has in excess of 1,600 total test flights across five generations of aircraft. So that's a huge amount of experience around our systems, our batteries, propellers, motors, um, you know, how we communicate, all of all of those really important aspects of our aircraft. Um, we're now developing our, you know, preparing for the certification of our Generation 6 aircraft, um, the aircraft that will come to market this decade. And so we're working working with the Federal Aviation Authority on our certification um, process for that aircraft. And what that certification will involve is a, a huge amount of testing, um, right through from component testing, which is already underway, um, to testing our electronic systems, our avionics, our airframe, flight testing, testing our communications, our precision navigation systems, um, how our operators work. So there's a whole um, sort of journey of, of operational validation and certification testing that we are moving towards at the moment. And that's where we will start collecting the specific evidence um, that supports our safety case and our certification process. Uh, so that'll be a really important part of showing the regulator and showing the community that we're safe ahead of our operations. Where do people fly? 
When, um, when do you start putting people off in the air? We get that question a lot, actually. One of the most common questions is, when can I go flying in one? Um, we've got a lot of uh, excited customers out there. Uh, so there's a couple of things to say there. Firstly is that we work closely with the regulators because ultimately the regulators will determine the timeline. Uh, we need to have our aircraft, our production systems and our operations certified and we won't be flying until we're certified as safe by the Federal Aviation Authority and, and regulators in any other countries you know, such as the Civil Aviation Authority in New Zealand. Um, that's really, really important. Um, but with that in mind, um, we do expect to be flying this decade. Uh, we have a plan in place. We have the staff. We have the work underway with the FAA. Um, so it's really exciting to think that we're not all that far away um, when you think about it from from this being part of our transport landscape. And so at this point in time, all the testing you've done is sort of fully autonomous with no, no people in an aircraft. What can you share on that? So we did some testing initially. So we've had five generations of aircraft. Mm. And in our first few generations, we did have a pilot on board as we tested those initial things like uh, the transition from vertical to horizontal flight. Mm. Um, But since 2017, we've been operating without a pilot on board. Uh, So we've been operating completely controlled by our staff on the ground um, from our ground control stations. So we've got a lot of experience in in autonomous operations. So do you test with staff inside from a passenger? perspective at this point or you don't need to there's no benefit what if you've done that early on obviously they were the pilots but now does that sort of wait until you get to a next level of certification yes so we are currently not flying passengers in our aircraft it's really important that when we bring passengers on board or our own staff as in the passenger seats that that's in accordance with the appropriate approvals from the FA and that's you know really important to us to demonstrate that commitment to safety what would you say the biggest challenges that WISC has got through to date? Because it's clearly not an easy journey. There's a, you know, a lot of challenges to, to get through. And you know, the last time I chatted with someone from WISC with previous CEO Fred Reid a few years ago, it sounded like the business had, you know, the, the team had already been through some pretty hard stuff at that point. I'm sure the last five years there must have, must have been some, you know, some pretty challenging technical things to work through and, and, and so on. Not, not to mention, you know, funding. Obviously, Boeing's sort of part of the mix now as well, because it's not a cheap enterprise to get involved in, is it? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, actually. And um, you know, I'm not an engineer myself, but I sit in some of these conversations with our engineering leadership and our engineers, and I'm just blown away, you know, with some of the things they've worked through. Um, an early milestone for WIS that we really view as a as a mark of maturity in the industry is the transition from vertical to horizontal flight, uh, you know, and that involves a, a huge amount of maturity in, in all of the systems. Um, and of course, you know, I mentioned, um, you know, moving from piloted to autonomous, but to get to where we are, you know, we've developed a battery that can conduct VTOL and horizontal flight. Uh, we've developed um, propellers. Uh, we've developed in-house our own motors uh, to, you know, to operate off the batteries. We've developed our autonomous systems. It's just extraordinary. I sometimes like to say that advanced e-mobility, it's not one innovation, but many. And in fact, mm. we have, I think, in excess of 190 patents uh, involved with our aircraft and innovations that gives you a bit of an idea of the just the depth of innovation and hard work that's gone on for the whole team. Yeah, that's uh, that's a that's a lot of patents suggests uh, a, a a lot of uh, innovation 
in the background there. And so in terms of size and sort of scale for WISC now, can you talk to how many people are, are involved in, the, um, in, in WISC around the world? Or Yeah, so WISC has been growing. We are now around 700 staff, which is really exciting. Um, that includes a lot of um, staff from our supporters Boeing and Aurora Flight Sciences who, who are embedded with our teams. But we've got a team in California, uh, our headquarters and our prototype manufacturing facility in Mountain View. We've got a test flight facility in Hollister. Uh, we've also got a team in Montreal, in Atlanta, in New Zealand, and, and now staff in Australia. So, you know, very much a global and growing company. Mm. Uh, mostly engineers and flight tests, but, you know, increasingly we've got staff in areas of certification, uh, regulatory, business, passenger services. You know, as you can imagine, when you when you go to change the world, yep. uh, you, need a, you need a good team. Yeah, that's great. And uh, you know, looking looking to New Zealand, obviously you're you're based what Wellington and in a a role that you know looks right across the region. Um, but you've got other team members here in New Zealand. What sort of things are you doing in, in New Zealand now? Because the flight sort of testing isn't active in New Zealand at this at this point. That that side sort of finished up for at least for now. I, I take it. Yes. Yeah, so we've got a couple of work streams underway in this part of the world. Uh, First is our work with the airspace integration trials program, and uh, you know, headed up by MB that CA and Airways also work closely with. Uh, so that's that's really exciting, and we also actually have some um, staff members working on battery technology uh, right here in Christchurch, oh, cool. which is yeah, which is really cool uh, to see. You know, those opportunities for engineers to be involved in industry like this, um, and we also are working closely with regulators and. and governments and also with city planners you know as we think ahead to what it will take to integrate our aircraft into cities in the future there's there's quite a bit of work there so a few things going on yeah i can imagine on the on the battery front certainly some you know challenges in terms of it getting a bit cold up there and different uh you know challenges in terms of um yeah an, an electric vehicle that are uh yeah maybe haven't haven't been perfectly addressed by existing technologies yeah, so batteries are a huge part of our innovation. And, you know, the reason for that is they're part of the range of technologies that will help aviation decarbonise. You know, and it's so important, especially for a country like New Zealand, that we have this future where we're able to connect with, with each other through air travel, but also that people, you know, can have sustainable journeys. And that's one of the goals in the uh, Aotearoa New Zealand aerospace strategy, you know, building those sustainable journeys. Um, so batteries alongside other technologies are part of that mix, but it does mean we need to uh, work on a couple of things. We need to, you know, work on the density, the power density. Um, it's really important that um, we have a high standard of safety. So we're working already with the Federal Aviation Authority on on the safety of those batteries, and also, you know, looking at the sustainability, like the full life cycle of how we um, how we handle and use them throughout life. That's great. Um, anything else you wanted to add to the conversation? No, a point I love to finish on is thinking towards the future of the aerospace sector. Uh, you know, there's so many challenges and opportunities ahead of us, and uh, it's so encouraging to see when we engage with the universities. You know, we've got University of Canterbury right here. Auckland is really focused on this as well. Um, that it's those 
students currently studying the aerospace and, and um, mechatronics and, and all those contributing technologies that will help us solve those big problems of the future. So I'm really excited to see people continue to engage in the sector, to think about different kinds of futures and, and how they will contribute to safe and sustainable futures. And how do you think, you know, that we, we best, um, you know, let students know that there's opportunities in aerospace and in some of these advanced areas that New Zealand probably hasn't been known for historically? Uh, yeah, a lot of talking. So that's one of the reasons I'm talking to you. I do hope there are some students out there listening. Um, it's also why we're here at Tapai um, at the Aerospace Summit and at the Innovation Expo displaying our Generation 5 prototype aircraft that you know actually flew at Tekapo and talking to as many students as we can. We actually sponsored a few students here this week um, because we just want to open their mind as to the way that you know the sector is changing, the opportunities are changing and you know we don't have have the answers they have the answers uh, to a large degree so you know to get them thinking about the future challenges and, and how they're going to contribute and one of the most exciting things when you engage with young engineers you know those in the workforce and coming into the workforce yeah. is how much they want to contribute to a sustainable future and how they want to combine you know their technological background with that drive for sustainability and connection uh, so you know every time we engage with young people and you know people entering the sector we're just so inspired you know that it's in good hands. Yep, that's that's great. Um, well, thank you very much, Catherine McGowan. Uh, very fascinating to hear about what Whisk is what Whisk is doing. Um, one last question: New Zealand Australia rivalry. You're operating in both New Zealand and Australia. What it, what do you what do you think New Zealand uh, you know needs to do to attract sort of more investment into our aerospace? Um, you know, sector versus maybe what Australia or or other countries are doing. How do we stay, you know, competitive so we we attract as as much action, activity, and investment locally? Uh, well, I, I'm glad your question wasn't about the Rugby World Cup because I'm not really up on that situation. Um, but I think it's it's not a zero sum game. I think Australia and New Zealand are really complementary in how they can lift up the future aerospace sector. And I think where New Zealand can look to is that ability to bring the stakeholder group around the table and to solve system level problems. You know, when you're thinking about how can we design airspace in the future so that it is more safe, how can we support these innovations? It's not a pro it's not a problem that you solve with mass, it's a problem that you solve with systems thinking. You know, to go right back to that sort of Ernest Rutherford, we don't have a lot of money so we have to think. So we can help solve some of these tricky problems. We can come up with innovative ways of um, looking at the future and we can test and develop those and then we can share them outwards with the world. And so we do have to acknowledge that, you know, um, technologies will be developed here that at times then will be scaled globally and that's okay mm. because then other companies who are looking to develop, you know, that initial stage and, and how can I weave my technology into a sector, they say New Zealand is somewhere and is somewhere that I can go to figure that out so that I can make myself more marketable globally. Um, you know, and Australia... Similarly, a slightly larger market, but again, um, in the same way that Australia helped small US become a commercial proposition, they're looking at how they can modernise their airspace system. So, you know, I think we can both win. That's good. That's good. Great to hear. All right. Thank you very much, Catherine. Thank you, Paul. Lovely to okay. chat. Cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. 
brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.